bad stuff happens. Like it's going to happen. You're going to lose clients. You're going to get fired. Things are going to change. Bad stuff happens. The interesting bit is what's the silver lining? What can happen from those bad things happening? And one of the things that happened to me early in my career was me getting fired. And me getting fired led to me building my own business, which led to the dream life. And this episode is all about finding opportunity where you didn't even think it exists. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So this episode is a little bit different. I've got with me Josh Bond. Josh, welcome to the show. We actually met this morning, didn't we? Yes, on a bike ride going to Thule in the middle of Oaxaca. El Arbol del Thule, which is the largest or the widest, widest tree, tree in, in the, the world. world. Yeah, yeah, 58 meters diameter. It was quite something. Yeah, I wish it wasn't blocked by COVID signs. It would have been better. I know. But, <laughs> but it was still good. And I was asking you on the cycle or on the walk back about your business, what you did, and you had a fascinating story. And then I thought, well, this would make the perfect podcast because I think the listeners to the show will get a huge amount out of this. So let's start sort of where the beginning where you were. You got a degree in engineering, didn't you? Yes. So a part I didn't tell you, I was actually in the military. Were you? So I was in the military for in the Navy for six years out of high school. Didn't have a lot of opportunity. My family moved a lot. So I was constantly switching schools, always behind. Moved in with my grandma. She got me through school at the end of senior year. And I didn't want her to have to pay for college. I got this random... Uh, there was a career course. And I picked out, of all things, air traffic controller because I like planes. <laughs> and believe it or not, that week, a VHS tape... We're talking in the year 99 or 2000 here. Arrived in the mail... And it was a Navy recruiter and there was an air traffic controller on the, on the tape. Oh, wow. And, and it was explaining how you can basically, why, why go to school and pay for school when you can get paid and have a career and get paid to learn? And I was like, wow. So I joined the Navy, ended up not being an air traffic controller. They told me it was very high, like suicidal, like, uh, yeah, it's a very stressful job, like landing airplanes on an aircraft care in wartime. I, it sounds stressful. It sounds very stressful yeah. to me. So I actually got into intelligence and I was a cryptologist wow. at the time. And they sent me to a school of cryptology in Pensacola, Florida. And they sent me to school for three years, which obligated me two additional years to my recruitment. So I had to do six years total. When I got out, I was, I was ready to get out after the six years. Um, I did my part. I, I was very successful. I had a lot of money saved in the bank. And two days after getting out, I took a backpack and went to Europe. We're talking today about uh, me backpacking, or I was talking to your wife about this, actually. And uh, yeah, I backpacked Europe for four months, right out of the military. Came back. As anyone knows, traveling is a big habit or addiction, and it's an expensive one. So I... Started looking for jobs. I had a, a security clearance from the military and they had paid for all my schooling. All these credits transferred over to the local university where I, so they became, they were all electronics courses. So I became an electronic engineer through that. And I got hired by a company called Raytheon, which is one of the largest um, self-defense contract companies in the world. I worked with them not very long. It was about eight to 12 months. And then in 2008, the, wasn't the pandemic, but the, the first crisis, economic crisis we've had probably in the financial crisis yeah, in, our, in our lifetime, I'd say I was actually on vacation in Brazil on like a two week vacation. And I got an email saying, we don't need you back anymore. They're downsizing everything. And so they fired you whilst you're on holiday. Yes. And I believe they, they were planning <laughs> that. I believe they were planning that. You're kidding. Because they allowed me to go and I had previously asked for a raise and um, I was working in, in Los Angeles, living in San Diego. And I was promised a job in San Diego, but the contract didn't get signed. Details, I don't, I don't even know, above my, above my pay grade, I guess. And yeah, so I get this email and I was like, well, I'm in Brazil. I don't have a job anymore. <laughs> I go back to San Diego. So in the beginning, I didn't know what to do. Like uh, jobless. I had some, a friend that was on the boat with me in the Navy. And he started working on private yachts. This yacht pulled into town into San Diego. It was for um, a big billionaire that owns uh, the Phoenix Suns basketball team, actually. And he asked, hey, Josh, uh, do you want to come help us, like, basically wash the boat? And I was like, sure, we'll pay you, you know, $25 an hour under the table. I was like, oh, that, that's a great wage. Of course, <laughs> I'll go do that. This time, I'm 
25 years old, I believe, 25, 26. So as I'm there, I'm, I'm looking around the boat and I, I'm looking at all these radars and stuff, stuff I'm familiar with because I have an electronics engineering background. Yeah. So I asked the captain, like, hey, who, who do you contract or who, who fixes these radar systems? And they're like, well, we pay so-and-so, you know, like $200 an hour or something. I was like, why don't you just give me like 50 bucks an hour and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take a look at it, you know, and start doing that. Well, this was great when there was boats in town, but San Diego isn't like really the, the epicenter of yachts. They're more, they're more in Fort Lauderdale. Spain, Caribbean. So I was in and out of work with that. It was cool when I was there. But I was going out on the weekends with whatever money I made during the week. And it came at a time where uh, I was low on money. A friend, my birthday was coming up. It was like my birthday is August 10th, middle of summer, like busy time in San Diego. Everyone's trying to go out and do stuff. There's this new club called Voyeur Nightclub. And it was uh, the first... Voyeur Nightclub. Voyeur, yeah. The- if you know what voyeur means. I, I do. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering what you would be watching. <laughs> There's nothing like that, but we had, <laughs> we had these amazing DJs coming into town. It was like the first nightclub probably on the West Coast to bring in good quality electronic music on a consistent basis. So uh, my friend, Drew Downey Jr. I don't think that's his real name, but that's the name he went with. It's a great name. It is. It's Drew Downey Jr. And he spells it D-R-U, not even like, so doubt that's his real name. He offered me uh, for my birthday... Hey, would you like to fill up a party bus? You know a lot of people. We can pick up from your house, have people come over, pre-drinks. I'll pay you, you know, 150 bucks if you fill the bus. And then I'll give you, you know, three, four free bottles at the nightclub. And you just have a free night with your friends. I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds, sounds good. great. Basically, that's what I'm going to do for my birthday this year. It sounds like, you know? yeah, that would have been my 26th birthday, I believe. Or 25th. I don't know. Something like that. Something like that. So I did that. The next week is like, hey, can we do this again? A lot of people are asking, like, they want to go back. Like, hey, can we do that same thing again? Like, you know, a lot of my friends are meeting girls who now some of them are even married to. They met on this party <laughs> bus leaving my house. My best friend literally married a girl from Turkey who I met running on the boardwalk that morning, invited her to come on a party bus, and now they're married. It, oh, wow. Crazy, yeah. So this continued for a month, month and a half. I mean, kind of running these buses for this guy, Drew Downey Jr., and eventually I thought, man, this is a lot of work. This guy's kind of showing up late. He always has like the key ingredient to the night. Like he would have like the wristbands or the alcohol or something. And people were like, it kind of made me look bad because uh, okay. of my friends, my house. I was actually the one messaging the nightclub, the host. I was doing everything. I was like, man, how can I, you know, I guess, yeah, delete this guy, get him out of here. <laughs> Which you wouldn't have been thinking if no. he'd have always showed up on time, if he'd have always added yes, value. give me an opportunity. Yeah, and you don't think about that until it doesn't go like you want. Then it creates the thought, how do I create change? Yes. So it sounds as though poor old Drew created his own problem. Yes, a bit. Yes, exactly. So one week, I decided to boycott the bus. I told him I wasn't going to do it, but he still planned it thinking, you know, oh, people will still show up. People have been coming every week. And I kind of told some, some of my friends, oh, let's go out to another place. The bus pulled up to my house, this party bus, and there's no one there. Drew comes late, as always. And he's like, what? You really didn't do anything? I was like, no. Sorry, I told you. Like, it's not worth it. Like, it's not worth my time anymore. So, he rode the bus by himself downtown. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote the owner of the nightclub and I said, because I knew him, but I don't even think he realized that he wasn't paying me because he has managers, you know, that are handling all the yes. financial stuff. So. He knew me. He saw me there every day or every weekend, every Friday. And he thought, oh, yeah, Josh is the one we're taking care of. So I texted him like, hey, by no way does this reflect me. I was doing it for Drew this whole time. I just want you to know like I was the one doing everything. And when I decide not to do anything, look at the turnout versus what was happening before. Kind of a bad move to my friend, but it gave me a really good opportunity for, <laughs> for something. And at the time, I, did, I didn't really know if I was going to make a career out of this or what I was going to do. But the following week, they offered me to do it myself and they would pay me the cost of the bus, which is like $400. And then they were paying me per guy and girl I brought in, right? So like $20 per girl, $10 per guy. Men are worth less than women. Yes, but I would charge the men $20 to ride the bus because they're going to go out with the girls. So I was actually making more money off of the guys than I was off the girls. But I couldn't show up with a bunch of dudes. So I'd have to like limit it, you know, five or six. And we'd have like 40, 50, 60 girls crammed on these buses. and um. That first week, I made around $1,500 working for myself. Wow. Yeah, from the 150 And I was like, wow. So you 10x, poor old Drew got cut out. Yes. And you 10x the money that you were going to get. Yes. And uh, what was interesting is that Drew, they, they at first asked Drew if it was okay, because I was going to be promoting the same night. And Drew was like, 
No, I'm not okay with that because we have similar um, crowd, similar network, and we'll just be cross competing. You know, like so they actually give me Saturday night, which if anyone has gone out in their life knows Saturday night's the busiest night of the week just about anywhere in the world. So I had one of the top 50 nightclubs in the world on a Saturday night, and I was the only promoter working that night. Wow. Yeah, the, the club already had a lot of people. What it they just wanted a certain type of you know clientele. Like they wanted they wanted girls. Let's be honest. They wanted beautiful, young-looking girls uh, who are just in there, normal college chicks or whatever, hanging out and just make the place look nicer, you know? Like, so if someone's spending $5,000 on a table, maybe now they spend six or 7000 because they're having a better time and they're flirting with people or creating the atmosphere. Yes, they don't want 42-year-old bearded men like me. Uh, that's not really their target market. They kind of do to, to pay, but not to... <laughs> <laughs> but not, not, not to look at, let's say, not to tag on their Instagram. So this is quite interesting. Let's just back up for a second. You right. were kind of just going along yep. in your career. You got your electronics career. You were yep. in your career. And then there's a moment that throws you spinning. Yeah. And I think that is fascinating because those moments that throw people spinning can go one of two ways. They either kind of throw you spinning and you crash or they throw you spinning and it turns into an opportunity. That seems like, even though, it, was it painful at the time or was it just... It was in the beginning. So I didn't really know what to do. And, you know, I was just going out Saturday night or Friday night with Drew because it was free, basically. You know, I was getting 150 bucks, but it wasn't enough to pay the bills. My rent in San Diego is you know, $2,500 a month and all these things. But um, it was just like a free night. I could still go have a social life and not spend anything. And I was kind of like the man, you know, of that night, like the yeah. cool kid. But once I turned into this, I took it much more serious. And I was like, well, how can I make this work as like a full-time gig? And what ended up happening is this nightclub, Voyeur, which was the one that still to this day, afterwards, I got gigs in other clubs. But they, they paid me the most. Like they, they took good care of me. They start changing the pay structure. So in the beginning, it was per girl, per guy. But there's nights where maybe the club didn't do very well, but they still had to pay me a lot of money. So okay. what they ended up doing is like, hey, we're going to pay you a 5% of, of our total earnings for the night minus the cost of the DJ and pay you back for the cost of this party bus, which would be roughly $400 a night. Wow. So I, I started thinking more of like an owner of a nightclub basically because I was... How can you get the high paying clients rather than just the ones that are there yeah. for the... Exactly. And you know, like, okay, if some guys come, oh, hey... Two of you guys pay cover and we'll take care of the other two. Because I'm thinking like, okay, cover is part of my, you know, the, the money that's paying part for entry is part of my, yeah. yes, everything. Bottle service, drinks at the bar, all these things. And it really changed everything. And I think the nightclub did better when that started happening. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So they incentivized you in a different way, which got different behaviors, mm -hmm. which actually benefited both of you. Yes. Which I think works in every business. I think if you give someone... Like had Drew just give me a percentage of the business, I probably would have never left him because I would have been happy working with it. I might have been frustrated at times, but it probably would have never left. But the sense that like he didn't really do much and I was doing everything and I realized I was the one with all the contacts. I really didn't even need him. And that's what <laughs> pushed me to move forward. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting because I say this quite a lot on the courses. People think that business is a zero-sum game. And what I mean by that is... If one person is going to get ahead, someone else has to lose. Yep. And they see that as that's how business operates. One person gets ahead, one person loses. One person does this, one person does the other. And really, business is not like that because if I help you be successful and you become wealthy, I can become wealthy at the same time. And for me, business is about us all becoming more successful at the same exactly. time. It's a, it's a journey with, with a team. Like a marriage or anything, right? I think if both people are contributing, it's going to be better. And you're working towards the goals. You're working towards what you want to do. Yep. And what was smart, the nightclub knew what you wanted. You wanted to grow a business. You wanted to make money. You knew what the nightclub wanted. They wanted busy nights. They wanted to bring money in. And the more you helped them, the more they loved you. Yep. How long did you end up working with them? For They shut down in 2014 while I was on another vacation, believe it or not. So I did a road trip with a buddy I met in a hostel in Sayulita. He's from New Zealand. Came to San Diego for a week. I was like, hey, let's cross the border and rent a car in Tijuana and drive to um, Cabo San Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was an amazing trip. We got to La Paz, which is about a two-hour drive from there. And we're there. And I get this message from someone, this girl on Facebook. I remember a messenger saying, hey, you're not going to be here for Voyeurs last night? I was like, what? No, they would have told me for sure if they're going to close. But no... 
the owner just, he didn't want to tell people ahead because he was worried that people might steal or do things. So he just, that morning did that. Wow. And the manager didn't want to tell me because he wanted me to enjoy my vacation. But I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss this last night at this place I've been supporting forever. So we found the local rental car place, which is the same company, Fox Rental Car. Dropped off the car, had to pay $500 to drop it off because we're in La Paz and like someone's going to have to drive it back to Tijuana. Yeah. And got a flight and went back. And that was one of the funnest nights ever going out. <laughs> it was sad. People were crying. It was like a very uh, interesting place. Like the same group of people working there almost the entire time. I was there from like 2009 to 2014. And yeah, very weird day. But that ended. And then I was kind of back in the same boat where, what am I going to do again? Because I was getting paid so much. And I, my expectations were I, I was getting used to getting, you know, at, at that end point, it was it's adjusted to 7.5% of the total so I was getting paid a lot, you know, three to six thousand dollars a night, and then they were doing. I was doing two or three nights a week. I was I was doing wow. a lot of money just promoting a nightclub, <laughs> and that was your one nightclub. Yes. So you had some concentration risk, and what I mean by that is concentration risk is where all of your eggs are in one basket. Yes, I wasn't a distributor or a <laughs> diversified very well. I would do random gigs here and there, and they would let me, but. I don't know. I, I was just, they, they were paying me so much more than anyone else. Why would you? Yeah. yeah. Someone else might be, oh, here's $200 or something. I was like, wow, I can just go there again and get 7.5%. Like, so I stayed doing that. But when this ended, I, a lot of people knew who I was at that point. So I, I started doing gigs. I was also doing these gigs to Vegas with groups of girls where places in Vegas would pay me, MGM Grand, owned by Hawkinson Group, to bring, you know, 60, 80 girls to Vegas for free. Yeah. It, I can't even go back to Vegas as a normal dude anymore because these trips were, <laughs> were insane. I'm talking like you're in, we're walking through the casino with like, these girls had to be like handpicked, which was kind of like the part of the job I didn't enjoy too much is that you had to kind of be like a douchebag, be like, oh, sorry, you're good, but your friend can't come. But it was like, it, they had to submit photos, these things. But when you walk through the casino with like 60 very beautiful girls handpicked, and then you see guys like Kanye West and Snoop Dogg like at the front gate. And we're just walking past them with 60 hot girls. And they're looking like, wow, who are those five guys, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those trips are a lot of fun. One of the gigs I actually ended up getting was working for Hakkasan. So Hakkas, I don't know if you're familiar with Hakkasan Group. They're the largest hospitality group in the world. So they own the Omnia nightclub in Las Vegas. And they have several Omnias, Los Cabos, uh, Bali, I believe. Uh, they have hundreds of nightclubs. It's a billion-dollar corporation. But working for them wasn't the same. Having a job in that industry, it, it sucked. I got paid less. I was kind of in charge of the promotions team for the new Omni nightclub that opened. And I quit after two and a half months. They're paying me less. I thought that I was going to have... I mean, I had a lot of room to grow within that company. But at that point, I decided I don't want to work for someone else anymore. It's interesting. When you get a taste of being your own boss. Yeah. So what did you enjoy so much about being your own boss the first time? What, was the, what were the benefits? That if I worked harder, I received more. I think that's the best part. Or if I wanted to slack off and, and just take off for a couple of weeks, it was okay. Like it was, I was the one paying for that. But when you work for someone else, you don't have that decision. And this industry is interesting because they're just stealing your contacts. So we have guest lists and I'd have to submit their emails, all these things. So I was just building their database that I'd built myself. And I didn't like that. <laughs> and we had to submit this, you know, and yeah, I didn't like that at all. And plus I had to be there for so many hours and this. Literally, in the, the beginning, when I was just doing those Saturday nights, I was traveling four or five days a week, coming back and doing this. That's how uh, why I'm in Mexico now is because that time, I just started finding these random flights and Velars Airlines just started like announced. You can get round-trip flights to Mexico City, 70, 80 bucks from Tijuana. I would go there for a couple of days just by myself, meet people. And I'd come back and I'd promote the club and I'd go back again because most of the stuff I was doing was on Facebook. I already had the network. I already knew people. It's just a matter of putting together Facebook groups, uh, event pages, and tagging the right people, getting them interested. This is interesting. So let's take a random segue into Facebook. Okay. What have you learned about using Facebook to promote events? Because it can be a frustrating tool with the algorithm and with different it can, things like that. Especially now. So I haven't promoted events in a while, but even just using Instagram, since I've been posting stuff here, my engagement's like 40 or 50 likes, where normally when I'm posting stuff, you know, it's in the hundreds. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's like, I know what I'm posting now is more interesting because I'm actually traveling and doing things. I'm constantly uploading things. So it should be getting higher engagement. The content's good. doesn't make sense. And that can be very frustrating with Facebook is they can just change who sees it. You build up an audience and then one day, oh, they want you to pay for it. or And, and that, that ruins it all. Well, they do want you to pay for it. Yeah, so yeah. if you have a business page, yep. they basically show your content to no one until you actually pay for it. They do. Which is why... 
I continually recommend if you're listening to this, like build your own list, yep. have your own list. That is the most valuable asset you can own. Don't let someone else own your list because yep. otherwise you might have to pay them to get to your own list, yeah. which is highly frustrating. It is. Yeah, that, that is the worst part. So through that, I was saving a lot of emails. In the beginning, I wasn't. One of my best friends, Jeremy, the same one who married the Turkish girl from my party bus. <laughs> he's kind of a nerd, but he's always thinking ahead technologically, you know? And he's like, why don't you just automate this and put like a Google, um, what is it, a Google sheet or whatever, where yep. like people can... So I started doing that for the guest list and then people had to put in their email address and all these things. Oh, so they put in their own details in the Google sheet. Yeah, they want to be on it. The problem is, is that you were getting the, the type of girls that maybe the club didn't like as often okay. because anyone can do it. Or maybe, you know, they try sneaking a guy in or something. It was like against the rules. But I was building this list and it was saving in there. And I would just, you know, export to another Excel spreadsheet. And I had, you know, I think at the end over 100,000 emails of girls between like 21 and 25 who were interested in going nightclubs. There is a very specific target market. <laughs> it is. A very it specific really is. target market. And very organically grown too. Yeah, which I think is what I've said to people. So if you're listening to this podcast now and you haven't yet started building your list, just start because you will be so grateful in five years time that you started because you'll get 100 people this year and 200 people next year and then it'll start to grow and then... It's exponential growth, right? In the, the beginning, it's slow. And then through time, just like when any business or like any sort of experience you're trying to provide... The first year, you're, you're trying to find people. But then through time, those those people keep coming back on their own. And then they tell their friends and it just, boom, it starts exploding. But growing your list, the same thing. Like you might do it like the first week and only get only two people left their email. And you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Yeah. yeah, that is the key bit. And I think that's when so many people gave up. I gave up in the early days. I, I knew about lists, but I didn't do it. I only did it far later. And I wish... I had started earlier. I think you don't realize how important an email is or a contact. I think now having maybe a, a phone number is even more valuable, right? So, I mean, you can, it's, they have that with them at all times. If you can, I think maybe they're blocking it. It's getting spammy now, but I, I get a lot of random messages from businesses. Like they're obviously automatically generated. If I've been doing that in the beginning, it would have been even easier, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so they're getting a, a message on their phone about like, oh, tonight there's a party here more people would have came versus checking an email. A huge amount more because yeah. you get the notification right there, right then, which you can do with social media to a certain yeah. extent, but it's just... You're still using them. Yeah, still using them. So you left the job in Vegas and are you back in the same situation wondering what to do next? No, or? because this time I kind of had a plan. You had a plan? Kind of. I didn't know how it was going to go, but... Like I said, I've been traveling around Mexico this time on this time off. My passion is to travel. I've been to over 60 countries worldwide. Even in the military, I was going to places people have never been or probably can't even go. And I loved it. I found this jewel, this gem in our south of San Diego called Valle de Guadalupe, Guadalupe Valley, just outside of Ensenada. And it's a wine region. My buddy Dave and I in 2010 went there randomly because a friend in Mexico City had mentioned, oh, I want to see the, the wine route. In Baja, California, I was like, there's wine in Mexico? Like, no idea. I've been going to Ensenada forever since I was like 19. I had no idea there's wine there. There's only about 30 wineries, I think, at the time. 30, 40. It was a small region. But it was really cool. My phone didn't work there. So, I had no, no maps. There was no street signs. There would just be like pictures of like grapes, like on a sign with an arrow. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm like going to farm. The grapes. Yeah, exactly. Which led us to the biggest commercial winery, LA Chetto, it's called. They produce millions of cases of wine a year. And I was like, well, there's got to be more to this. So I just asked some guy in the parking lot, like, hey, can we follow you around? Like, we don't know where to go. Like, yeah, I've been coming here my whole life with my family, my grandparents. Sure. So I started exploring places. And then it got to the point where I was like, I'm going to come down here on my own in a couple of weeks. And I just drive down by myself. It's an hour drive, like nothing. And I would just ask guys on bicycle, hey, where's the next winery? And they just point down dirt road. I'm driving down like 15 minutes on this road. <laughs> Thinking like, should I turn back? But part of me is like, no, you know, I trust that random guy on the bicycle, you know? I'm, I'm going I'm to continue going down <laughs> He could have pointed any direction, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it never failed. I'd end up, and it wouldn't be what you would picture as a winery. It'd be like someone's house and a dog running out, barking, greeting you. Someone coming out and you're like, am I trespassing? Like, no, come on in. Like, they have a wine cave down and they've been making wine for years. And you're just drinking wine with a stranger in his house. And it, I thought it was the most fascinating thing I've ever done. So how do you go from meeting strangers in caves to creating a business? <laughs> that's, that's the thing. So around 2014, 
I was thinking, wow, I'd love to bring more people down there. I've been going down there now four years. How can I do that? I, got, I would just come down with some friends, show them around the places I know, but I was always interested in finding more spots. I started looking for domains and I was, I was looking for not so much direct. I was looking for off the beaten type names because I thought all the direct names would be taken. But the, the names I was looking for were taken. And then, you know, on GoDaddy.com, they list like other available options for domains. Mm-hmm. Bajavino.com was available, which if anyone knows in Spanish is Baja Wine. Yes. That was available of all names. I couldn't reach for my wallet fast enough to pay for it. I was like literally <laughs> like struggling. I was like, oh. so I bought that. I bought the dot MX, like everything. I got even the misspellings, Baja with an H instead of a J. I was like, wow, no way. I was like, that's insane that Baja Vino dot com was available so at that moment i'd say 2014 is when i started that 2016 is when i left the the little club industry so i, I was kind of doing this for a couple of years but not really making money off it. I, was, I kind of ripped down this business plan i had this idea of like kind of being like the expedia.com of this region and just being like a middleman and taking maybe commissions and people if you want a transportation you want a hotel you'd go to my site because i have the the most like direct name that's just like i mean bajawine.com so it would probably search well on google like everything but what was starting to pay was more just like the tours and just bringing mm. people. That was cash in hand that day. And that's what I started, I really fell in love with. I had a friend who owned a house near Ensenada and he lived in San Diego and this house wasn't occupied. He's like, oh, anytime you want to stay there, just go stay. So I had this free place and all this was happening and I wasn't very happy with working for Hawkinson Group. So I just didn't go back. I was like, hey, I'm not going to go back and I'm going to go fulfill my dream. Because this was taking me away from what I wanted to do. It's like, sure, yeah, I could build work in this corporate nightclub industry, which is a weird, weird thought to be. A weird mix of entertainment and corporate Very, structure. Yeah. yeah. Just a bunch of douchebags. Like with the, it's like everything you think about like a door guy, you know, like that bouncer, like asshole kind of guy. But, you know, in a corporate setting, it's like way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I just gave up and I went down there and I had this free place to stay. I was also airbnb my house in San Diego, which allowed me some, some slippage on income because I had that coming in. And I was there for a bit and I, I thought, you know what, I'm, let's see how long this will last. And then, and then uh, the drive from his house to Ensenada was you know, like 30 minutes each way. So, I was driving a lot. I was spending like three, $400 a month in gas. And I thought, I wonder how much it is just to rent a house in Ensenada. Oh, I was like $600 for like a nice house in a gated community. So, it's only just a little bit more than the gas and you save all the time. All the time. And I thought, you know, I signed a lease saying, hey, I'll be here for six months. Here I am, four and a half years later, still living in this place, bringing people from the border down. But in the beginning, it was just bringing all these girls I knew who I had over 100,000 emails, like I said. They were 21 to 24, 25 at that time. Now they're like, you know, 27 to 30. So they're into wine. They're into wine. They're not into nightclubs anymore. <laughs> so now when they're getting my email blasts, they're like, oh, wow, that, oh, you're doing something cool. Like... You know what I'm thinking is, what are you going to be selling in 10 years' time, 20 years' time? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to follow them to the funeral, maybe. Who knows? Like, uh, so <laughs> maybe that's why I'm here in Oaxaca. Maybe next we'll do some Well, culinary. now you've got a foodie tour, a culinary tour. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. So I start showing up to these wineries with groups of girls. I wasn't even charging them. We've just kind of split the bill. And like, I had a contact for a guy who had a van and he'd pick us up at my buddy's house. This house is massive. It's like a six-bedroom house and I'm staying there by myself. So, we could sleep 15, 20 people there. Pick us up. We'd go to the winery and then the winery started asking like, who's this guy, you know, bringing people. 15 attractive girls all the time. <laughs> and what's funny is that the, the Baja Vino Instagram page had the most followers of probably anything in Vida Guadalupe in the wine region at that time because we we're at then like three, 4,000, but nothing else was more, it was still in the hundreds. It was still like, and it was just kind of like a hobby of me going around taking photos and posting them on this page and I got really into photography in this time. That was something I, I didn't know I had in me before. And I started taking these photos, putting on this Baja Vino page. And people knew the account, but they had no idea it was this gringo running the account. No idea. <laughs> and I would li- literally email people all in Spanish, like, hey, I would like to come by today, a reservation. They didn't know that I was going to be this white guy from San Diego. They thought I was going to be because the name Baja Vino, they assumed it was a Mexican guy. Like, why would yeah. a foreigner come up with this name? And just for the listeners, gringo is the term that Mexicans use for white people. Yeah, or foreigners. Foreigners. You know the yeah. real history about it? It's kind of bad. I don't know no, if you know. I don't know. So this- it, during the war, the soldiers, the American soldiers had green uniforms and they're saying gringo. Uh, it's like to go back. Okay, gringo. Yeah, but in Spanish, the I is pronounced how we would say like the double E. So it's gringo. 
I had no idea. Yeah, that's, that's the history. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I always say, no, no, I'm not a gringo. I'm English. Yep. But it doesn't count. It doesn't count. I'm still a gringo. Like every Canadian backpacking Europe, they have, their, <laughs> they have those flags all over their backpack. Yes, they don't give a I'm not American. Yeah, exactly. I don't blame them. <laughs> oh, America, we love you. <laughs> yeah. So this taking people on wine tours has turned into your full-time business for four and a half years. Yes. That's phenomenal. So yeah. the mailing list you built up doing the nightclubs mm-hmm. is the same list that still, in essence, I'm not using it you. so much now, but in the beginning, yes, it was. Yeah, and that's what generated a lot of the business to start it with. Did. And now, I mean, I have a big network in San Diego. I, I was the guy that kind of knew everyone. So anytime someone thinks about Baja California and Mexico, I'm the one that gets tagged in that Facebook post. Like, any recommendations for I'm going to Vida Guadalupe? Oh, I get tagged in all those. So I... That's kind of how it goes. Like everyone, oh, Josh, I'm coming down this weekend. I'm done. Even if I'm, they're not paying me, I still like, oh, no, go check out this place. Here, I'll set you up a reservation here, whatever you guys need. So I'm kind of like the Baja California contact. I love that. And then all sorts of opportunities and yeah. business comes to you. And for those who don't know, Baja California is the state south of California in the United States. Baja California, which means below the word Baja. California was actually Alta California before. It was, all, it? It was all Mexico. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So... What have you learned on this business journey? Because like you've fallen into several different things. Yep. What have you learned? Are you becoming more conscious about your entrepreneurship? What have been some of the lessons along the way? I've become more confident, I think, in just myself. I used to be kind of shy in a sense. Like I'm not like the aggressor ever. I usually have to be presented to someone, but then I'm fine. And now I feel more just being me. You know, like I don't have to worry about impressing other people. Like I moved to Baja because I wanted to move to Baja. Like I, I loved it there. It's it's amazing. It, it was my travel hack. I feel like I'm somewhere far, far away and only an hour from San Diego. I think that's the biggest thing I learned is just to be myself. And you can make money doing what you want to do or what you love. Even if it's not all the money in the world, you don't need it all if you're happy doing what you're doing. I love that message. And I've I've kind of been shouting about there is a way to make money doing what you love for a long, long time. There is. Yeah, and it sounds like you've fallen into something that you actually really enjoy. I actually have friends who are like doctors, lawyers, make a lot of money. And they're always talking about, oh, because they're jealous because I'm traveling all the time. I'm doing these things and they're working full-time jobs. Yes, they make more money, but it's a lot more sacrifice. They have more debts. They have less free time. They have to maintain that lifestyle. I mean, that job to maintain that lifestyle, right? Well, they're locked in. They're locked in. Like if you've got a huge mortgage, car payments, all of that sort of stuff, you have to earn a lot of money every month to pay for it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those things, suddenly flexibility, ability to travel, ability to do other things. Yeah. Uh, always remember, I had a job when I was a lot younger for one of the major world manufacturers of electronics. And the guy was telling me his criteria for staff. And this was sales staff. And his criteria was, do they have a big mortgage? If so, they have to earn every month. Do they have kids? If so, they have to earn every month. Do they have a habit? Alcohol, drug, gambling. If so, they have to earn every month. Those are the people I want to hire for my business because then they have to work. And I find that fascinating. People get trapped in those careers and that life. And some of my friends even think, Josh, you can't just be like when I was a nightclub promoter. What are you going to do that forever? It's like, you well, can't no. just be a nightclub promoter. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you going to do that? Like, oh, well, I'm doing all this. Like, you know, I have my life together, this. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're going to work all your life to live, to raise up money to live the life that I'm already living without the income that you have. And that's something that, especially in the last few years, that's stuck in me a lot. When people try to, I don't know, burn me or whatever, say something like that, like, well, you're just going to live in Mexico and do that. Like, well, yeah, what are you going to do when you retire? Are you going to just keep doing the same thing you've been doing? Or you're probably going to travel. You're probably going to go do things. You're going to, or maybe go to a place where your money can stretch a little longer. And like, why not just do it when you're in your 30s instead of your 60s or 70s? <laughs> exactly. And you got to have a lot more fun when you're slightly younger. <laughs> you do everything. <laughs> There's certain trips I'm saving for when I'm older. You know, I actually went to the Grand Canyon already, but I was like thinking, man, I could have done that when I was like 70. I could have saved that for that time, you know, but there's certain things in certain periods of your life that might, you might enjoy more. So one of the things I find fascinating, which is geo arbitrage, which is the idea, geography and arbitrage. Arbitrage is an opportunity where you can buy something less in a different market. So the idea is you can earn in dollars 
and then spend in Mexican pesos and your dollar goes a lot further in Mexico, which means you're, I'm assuming it's an American audience coming on your tours. Yeah, about 70% of it, but I'm charging dollars to anyone that books through my website. Today, it's a lot easier to do this, right? So many people are working online or traveling and have blogs, a lot of successful businesses. But the way it works there in, in the north of Mexico, a lot of things are, they'll be priced in pesos, but very highly reflected upon the dollar. So if the dollar gets stronger, you'll notice all the local prices will go up. Where, where we are right now in Oaxaca, I don't think the dollar affects anything. The prices are probably in this, relatively the same for five, 10 years. Or, I mean, like I said, I just got a cup of coffee and a huge, massive piece of um, banana nut bread, and it was $2 total, you know? Which is about one pound forty yeah, <laughs> for yeah. the British audience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's particularly inexpensive here. Yeah. We went out for empanadas this morning, didn't we? And an empanada was one pound each. Yeah. It's like $1.40 or something. And you think In a market that could be considered touristy. Yes. And it was still that price. Yeah. So <laughs> your money definitely stretches further when you spend it in different locations. And it for does. those of you listening now, if you can create a business that earns money in the UK, the US, other expensive countries, mm-hmm. Denmark, Scandinavia, if you can earn money there and then spend it in Thailand or Mexico yes. or different places, it is unbelievable. The north of Mexico is a really unique location for this. So you have Tijuana, which is, if you look on like a satellite view at night, all the lights from San Diego and Tijuana is just one big municipality or huge area, metro, metropolis or metropolitan. I don't know the correct word, but that. And I recently went with a winemaker friend to go look at condos he was looking and I was shocked to see that they're selling for 350, 400,000 US dollars in Tijuana for a condo. And we started talking. He's like, well, this is probably the most unique area in the world where you can live in one place, you know, with this cost of living and drive to work in another country and earn dollars versus that. I don't think that exists anywhere in the world where there's two cities of that size bordering each other and countries where the, the diversity of wealth is like so far apart. I, I don't think it exists anywhere. And I'm about an hour south of there. So kind of similar thing. Not quite where I would just drive into San Diego every day to go to work. But if you're in Tijuana, you can wake up in the morning. You can get a, what's called a Century Pass, which uh, is like kind of a fast pass to cross the border in the US. And you, they do like a background check and you can cross the border in 5, 10 minutes. No problem. The average person waits you know, up to two hours to cross into the US border in the car. I don't know if you've done that before, have you? No, I have not. I've been avoiding you're that. Not, I not tend to like planes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so people can do that. And they can be living, you know, relatively cheap, earning dollars and actually physically driving to the other place versus just how I'm doing it where they're coming to me. But we charge in dollars. Uh, most of the prices at the wineries are based off dollars. So the prices there are much higher than where we are right now in Oaxaca. And my, my basic tour would be something that would include, I pick them up usually at their Airbnb, their hotel, and I would take them to three different boutique wineries. I'm really a fan of supporting like the local community. I don't like the commercial places. So when people ask me to take them, I try to I try not to. Actually, I never do take them, to be honest. I try to just talk them out of the idea of wanting to go to the places that they've already heard of. And they're never never disappointed. I bring them to my friend's wineries and you're just kind of hanging out. And the quality of the wine's better. You know, these guys are only producing 3,000 cases a year, not a million or half a million. And it's more passion. And so, I bring them to about three wineries a day with the tastings included. And then we eat lunch. Sometimes one of the wineries just has a barbecue and we eat there because they're just cooking and they invite us. Or... Other times, you know, I have something set up like a tasting thing that, you know, a pairing that goes well with the wines. I actually have a tour tomorrow and I'm here in Oaxaca. So, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is your first experiment in someone else running them for you or have no, you I've been had doing it, that? But not with the group this large and not since the pandemic has happened. So, a lot of things, it's been an interesting year because this year, I, I mean, I had an Airbnb running for partial income. I also, I didn't mention this, opened up a pizzeria and a bar in Mexico in Ensenada. Oh, just slip that in at the yeah, end of the conversation. <laughs> and wine tours. So literally a pandemic erased Wiped everything. Wiped out all of yeah, your business. My, 100% of my, my portfolio is in tourism of some sort. <sighs> and I had nothing once again, but I, I started working, uh, trying to work. And I was like, man, it's too much work for a little right now. For instance, um, I don't own that many of the vehicles. I'm usually renting them through someone else with a driver. And I couldn't mix groups together. So sometimes, say I had a you know a fourteen passenger van and just three couples. I just put them together and take them to the same places. But you had to separate all the groups during the pandemic. Ooh. You can't really have people. So there's not enough vehicles in the city because every two people has to be in a different vehicle, even if it's a van. So I guess the point where I was like, you know what? 
I have enough savings to get me through this. So you had saved, you had money put aside this in case did, of yes. emergencies. This time you yes. did. Yeah. When I left uh, Raytheon as an engineer, no. Nothing. <laughs> because I didn't know I was getting fired. It was just, well, I no, was on you vacation. Were on holiday. Yeah, you know, I was on holiday. I probably just spent anything I had in in Brazil. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Brazil during Carnival. It's amazing. So, and not very inexpensive either. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's how it's been. And then I decided to go to Oaxaca for two months. This is in October. I was like, I'm just going to go there. If I get any bookings, you know, no one booked. I, I wasn't really marketing the brand in this time frame. The wineries wanted people to arrive only with specific reservations, set hours. You couldn't have more than six people at a table, even if they're in the same group. Mm. I was like, it's just too much to deal with. If someone just happens to just book and it's a couple, I'll make sure they get taken care of. But I kind of stepped aside. This last month, though, everything's been increasing like mad. It's, uh, I think this is going to be the busiest summer, for I think, for all tourist industries in the world. Well, there's this thing at the moment in the UK. I read a recent article about pent-up money. Okay. So people have been trapped at home on lockdown, not able to go on holiday, not able to spend. They've been able to do some house renovations, but they've just not been spending. They've not been eating out. They've not been doing things. And there's something like thirty billion pounds huh. of money that is just sat in people's bank accounts that wouldn't normally be sat there. It would yeah. be spent on holidays yeah. and stuff. So there's going to be a huge release yeah. of finance coming over the summer of 2021 because we're recording this Easter weekend, yes. and it's going to be fascinating to watch that be spent around the world. When I was here in Oaxaca in October, November, I think I was telling you earlier, I was just speaking Spanish the whole time. I didn't see very many travelers at all from other places. Now I'm here in end of March, early April, and it's a whole different city. Like people that I met last time, I hear them speak English. I'm like, oh, you speak English? I didn't even know. I've only <laughs> spoke to you in Spanish. And I see the demographics completely change. So I already noticed how much different the tourism is here in Oaxaca, which isn't even like an easy destination. I'm by the border where people can just drive and return the same day. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great, I think. So the, the one thing I always love about this is practical information that people can use to build businesses and create the life of their dreams. Because that for me is what it's all about. Like, don't build a business just because it makes you money. Build a business because it makes your life better, because it's what you want to do, because it's what you enjoy. Like, you seem to have fallen into this and then made it a thing, which I love. Yeah. If you were to give some advice to people, what have been the top two, three things you've learned along the way? What are the actionable, practical things that people can take away that they can actually use? I think the more happy that business is going to make you, the more difficult it's going to be. So not to give up. If it's something that like I value fun or entertainment over money, I'll take you know 60% pay and enjoy it over more pay and have to not enjoy my life. But with that becomes, there's a lot of hurdles as well, because especially the industries I've been in are not very um, normal industries. Like I was a nightclub promoter that made a business out of it. And now I'm doing tours, wine tours, an hour south in another country. I just got up and moved one day, like without any, <laughs> no plan. It was difficult. I also assumed that it was going to go really quick. And I was going to be, oh, I'm going to dominate this. I already have this, uh, this following. I have the best uh, website name. Like, how am I not going to? But I did just to the, the community. Ensenada or Mexico as a whole, much slower. Like it's more laid back, more chill. It's not the, the everyday grind that you have in the United States. So once I adjusted that, I was like, okay, okay. That was the first hurdle really. You know, something that is annoying is that um, being from the US, we tend to be on time. We're really yes. good with time. People in Mexico are not. So I'd be showing up to meetings and they show up 45 minutes an hour late. I was like, ah. Oh. And all these things I was thinking, oh man, am I getting stood up? Are they not coming? And this and like it, adapting to the culture was a huge hurdle. I think it's not about me. It's about them. So I need to adjust, not make the world adjust. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because technically you're the foreigner here. Yep. So they yeah. shouldn't bend to of your course. way of doing things. Of we should bend to their way of doing things because it's their country, it's yes. their world. And that I think is a great piece of advice for anyone trying to do business in another country is to fully adapt into their culture. Like I don't even have friends in Ensenada from the US. 100% of my friends are from Ensenada or other parts of Mexico. And I think me being in that local community also helped push my, my business a lot because now they support me. They see me as one of them. Opening the pizzeria local was a huge thing too because now I had a place to invite them. Like, hey, mm. come to my place, have some pizza, have a beer. So I think 
accepting it's going to be difficult. The more fun it's going to be, I think it's going to have more hurdles to jump. But in the end, it's completely worth it because here I am traveling, able to run a business from another part of the country while I'm not even there and getting paid to be here in Oaxaca right now. I mean, this is amazing. Yes. It always takes longer than you think it will. And I think that's the bit. Yeah. And my wife has an expression that she repeats constantly, which is, it's not linear. Mm-hmm. And what she means by that is everyone thinks that things are linear growth. Yep. It's one plus one plus one, and you will gradually build up. Business is never like that. It's exponential. Okay. It's like nothing happens for the first six months. Yeah. And then something happens minorly, and then something else happens. And then all of a sudden, after three years later, it goes crazy. Mm-hmm. But you have to lay that groundwork for a period of time. That's something that took me a while to understand as well is that me going to the cafe with my computer and doing some marketing, doing this, I'm not receiving anything in that moment. I'm not getting paid. But eventually, it will all catch up. And I would notice like if I was on Google updating things, uh, doing SEO, it didn't happen then. But then all of a sudden, you know, three, four months later, oh, man, people are calling me out of nowhere. Like, But obviously, it's because of the work that has been done. And... I tend to get complacent sometimes where I'm just happy with how things are. I'm like, no, it's not about the moment. It's like what you're doing now, will maybe in a year, maybe two years. And with this type of job is a lot of revolving clients. And I'm really starting to see that now where people aren't going to go to Mexico more than once or twice a year, maybe like even if they live in San Diego, but they'll go, you know, two or three times every five years and recommend their friends. And now I'm starting to get all these repeat customers and now it's starting to grow. First couple of years, very slow. Oh, it started off quick because I had this network right away ringing. And then once I went through them... You've gone through the network. Yeah. And then who's next? Yeah. And it's also an interesting trade. So I'm pretty good with digital marketing, Facebook ads. And I would set up like ad clicks, call them straight up. Uh, like I feel like a lead gen and I would just call them. But I couldn't ever get the sell in that point because there's too much for someone to do. Say I was in San Diego and just going to a local winery. Yeah, they can just book right there without much planning because they know they'll be back home that night. Yes. But to go to another country, this they have to consult with their wife, their friends, like, where am I going to stay? And they're just talking to a stranger on the phone. It's a lot. So to follow back up, that's kind of where I lose a lot of a lot of them. I'd say most of my customers now are all second, third visits. Like, they've, they've come back. But that's the hardest sell point because think about it, Like, if I just called you and you're like, oh, it is. It's in Mexico, that thing I just filled out. Oh. I would love to. But I don't know because now they need three or four days to go. They can't just go for the day and come back. They can, but it's more difficult. Yes. And you need to organize people. You might have to organize childcare. Yes. There's a whole bunch of barriers a lot. to doing it. And uh, we definitely found that. So my business, the Rebel Business School, we run two-week-long business courses. Mm-hmm. And we basically invite people. They've never heard of us. And then we say, come to a two-week-long business school. And it's a bit like our first date is two weeks long. Okay. That's a really tough thing for people to commit to because like, how do I go for two weeks? <laughs> yeah, it's like, What do I organize? How do I do it? And then you have to find ways to create connection first so that people can trust you. You have to start to build up a mailing list that people mm-hmm. start to hear about you. And then it doesn't become such a big thing yeah. after they know you. The revolving clients help a lot because if... If a friend has already done it, you're going to take their word. For instance, my tour tomorrow, this friend of someone that just did a tour last week or two weeks ago with me, and they're like, just sending me money on Venmo, you know, like a PayPal thing, like to a stranger. Because I told him, well, yeah, you could pay through my site, but the booking agent, you know, added 6% fee, or you can just pay me since I already know you through someone. And they're just sending money to me, not knowing, but it's because they trust because it's a trust. friend just went on. Yeah. The foundation of all business is trust. It's trust. And if you've got trust, it's quick, it's easy. If you don't have trust, it's expensive and painful and slow. I feel like businesses here in Oaxaca rely a lot on trust because people, the marketing's different. It's more word of mouth. You see businesses that have been here forever, right? Like coffee shops, 100 years old. Like it's, it's really a remarkable place, but they didn't get there with, you know, digital marketing. So it's just people trusting that, no, so-and-so makes the best this and people keep going or like... Yeah, they don't do any of that. They don't bother putting themselves on Google Maps. They rely on digital nomads or travel blogs that yeah. say, go to this street corner, turn left, and it's the third building on the left. Yes. Which is fine if you've been around for 100 years and you're known for being the best. If you're a new business, that is not going to work for you. No. Uh, you need to go out there and hustle. Yeah. Uh, and I think there are different seasons in a business. When you first start, it is all about the hustle, building the list, 
finding the people, marketing, sales, and getting out there. You could there. go either way, right? You could start off really big with the boom and it falls down or building up, I guess. Yeah, and it like ideally you get the big boom and yeah. then just keep it going. That yeah. would be ideal, yeah. but I don't know that many people that has happened to. No. Well, this has been fun, yeah. Josh Bond. Super uh, interesting random day. It's super interesting random day. Uh, if people want to know more about your business, where do they find out about the wine tours in Baja, California? They can go on, I have a website called BajaVino.com. That's B-A-J-A-V-I-N-O.com. Also, Baja Vino on Instagram or on Facebook. Perfect. So people can check that out. So if you're listening to the podcast and you fancy a wine tour with Jay Bond yeah. in California. Or they can find Josh Bond also on Instagram as well. I love that. Excellent. And thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your stories and your ideas. Thanks for inviting me. It's been great fun. It's the first podcast I've ever done. So You were excellent. <laughs> Thanks. There are three things I would love you to take away from this episode with Josh. The first, and I think it's something I've been saying for some time now, it is possible to make money doing something you love. Like Josh has created a business where he takes people on tours of vineyards in an area he loves. He gets to travel. He gets to make money doing something he's passionate about. Why would you ever build a business doing something you don't enjoy? Just sounds crazy to me. So if you're going to build a business, pick something you enjoy, because I really do believe that comes through with the people you speak to. The second thing I'd love you to take away from this is the power of the list. The list of people, the list of potential customers, the list of people you can speak to. That's one thing Josh built during his first business as a nightclub promoter that actually helped him in his second business. And I joked about what is he going to sell to the same people next? But this is the bit, if you don't have a list, if you're relying on finding people new every time, that's a lot of work and a huge amount of energy. Take the time to set up your list now. Do it in a simple Google sheet. There are GDP laws in Europe, so do be careful of those. Use MailChimp, which is GDPR compliant and free up to 2,000 people. Do something to build your list. Start that now. Wherever you are in your business, if you haven't built your list yet, start now and start to build the list of customers, the list of people who love what you do. And the third thing I'd love you to take away from this is your biggest opportunities lie in your biggest challenges. For me, the biggest change in my life was when I got fired just before the 2008 financial crisis and then had to figure out how to make my own money. For Josh, it was being fired from his engineering job and then having to figure out how to make his own money. Sometimes these things that are incredibly painful at the time turn out to be some of the biggest and best opportunities. So if you've just been fired, how might that be the best thing that ever happened to you? If you've just had something go wrong for you, how might this be the biggest opportunity you've ever had? Take a moment to reframe the biggest challenges you've got to try and find the opportunity within. Then go out there and build the life you want to build because no one else is going to build it for you. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.